0: Hello, I'm Tristan Abbey, Editor-at-Large of the ILEA Review of Books. This is Episode 7 of the ILEA Review Podcast. Joining us today is Dr. Benjamin Wardo author of Encounters with Euclid, How an Ancient Greek Geometry Text Shaped the World, published in 2021 by Princeton University Press. Dr. Wardo holds a doctorate from the University of Oxford. Benjamin, welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to be here. Historical mathematics blends the qualitative with the quantitative, and for that reason, at least in my opinion, is a a very interesting subject. I first came across your name and your work, Benjamin, with your book, How to Read Historical Mathematics. At the time, I was doing my best to wade my way through books by people like Thomas Heath and others who had written about ancient Greek mathematics. For our readers, could you give us just a brief overview of what exactly Encounters with Euclid is?
1: Thank you. Yes. I guess what what you get when you open this book is is lots of short stories. I just counted up. It's 37 short stories about different people, different places, different artefacts. And in what links them together, as it says in the title, is Euclid's elements of geometry. All of these people, all of these places and artifacts are, are in some way responses to, to Euclid and, and his geometry. And so what they add up to is, if you like, a kind of mosaic picture of the very long life of this of this very unusual book.
0: Talk a little bit about why you wrote the book. Was there some kind of Deep-seated annoyance that Euclid wasn't being given his fair share of the credit for historical mathematics, or was there some kind of personal interest that you had developed? What is the origin story for the book?
1: I think just the the sheer longevity of of Euclid's elements had been at the back of my mind for a very long time, since suddenly since I was a teenager. You know, I can remember thinking, I go in a museum, I see you know, a stone tool, and it's thousands of years old. I can understand how how it survives physically, but what's what's the story? What's the deal when a book, when a text, lives for so long and remains in use for so long, more than two thousand years? How can that How can that possibly happen? What does a What does a book have to do? What do people have to do to it? for it to just keep keep on going keep on meaning new things to new people over such a long period of time and that was that was the question i kept coming back to and that i eventually you know came back to and wrote the book
0: i suppose the answer to this next question is that people should just read the book (laughs) here in the united states at least i think most of us are introduced to euclid probably in about ninth grade around 14 years old in basic geometry class and we learn about pythagoras a squared plus B squared equals C squared and rules and theorems and proving things. Isn't Euclid just a bunch of triangles and theorems? Obviously, in the book, you somehow link them to music and art and all these other fields. But for somebody who thinks of Euclid just as a protractor, how do you explain this rather stunning connection to everything else?
1: Well, you're, you're absolutely right that you know the, the surface of Euclid's book is is completely austere you know it's it's a small vocabulary it's a repetitious structure of propositions and proofs and constructions and proofs that just seems to seems to go on forever i I certainly wouldn't recommend it as bedtime reading but it's that It's almost that austerity, that blankness that enables it to do so much and enable people to project onto it whatever they want to see, you know, and to to make it into a book about philosophy or art or something else. I mean, just at a practical level, if you think about architecture in the ancient world or even more recently, you're not gonna get very far trying to describe precisely a building, the plan of a structure, unless you have a language for thinking about triangles, squares, and circles, and how they fit together in space. Similarly, if you want to do perspective drawing, you know, you're not going to articulate a precise understanding of how perspective works, unless you already have a language for lines and triangles and angles and shapes in space. So it's, it's that language that Euclid's book is so very good at providing. And that's one of the reasons that, at least in practical fields, it remained life for so long.
0: You mentioned practical fields. I think that for those of us who were introduced to Euclid around ninth grade at age 14, we probably didn't hear about him for another four or five years until modern physics comes along where people start talking about Einstein and Bernard Riemann and non-Euclidean geometries. And I think many readers may be surprised to see how you argue that Euclid is actually relevant for modern physics, even after the non-Euclidean geometry revolution took hold. What's going on there?
1: Mm, that, that's absolutely true. Of course, the, the modern paradigm is that space curves in the presence of a gravitational field. So, you know, Euclid's flat space is reduced to the status of an approximation. You know, so, a, a first order approximation that in some situations is is good enough yet it you know it, it really is good enough in quite a lot of situations i've never checked whether this is an urban myth but you hear the story that when they flew to the moon they did it using flat space because the difference involved in putting in the in the general res- relativity numbers the curved space would have been you know, one foot between here and the moon so it wasn't worth doing i i should i should go and check if that's true
0: Well, we often hear that they used antique computers that were less powerful than our present day laptops and iPhones. And we also hear often that they used Newtonian mechanics, Newtonian gravity to get to the moon. So it would be somewhat ironic or poetic if they also used Euclidean geometry to get there as well. A few final personal questions. Are there any historians or historians of mathematics or mathematicians that have particularly influenced your work?
1: Mm. You mentioned, I think, Thomas Heath just a, a few minutes ago, and I would have to pay tribute to uh, to Thomas Heath, the English translator of Euclid's Elements back in the 1910s. He stood at the end of a long tradition in a sense of love for the Euclidean text. You know, he didn't just like Euclid; he really, he re- he really loved Euclid and his Elements, and you can see that all through his awe-inspiring scholarship that is still impressive to this day. He's certainly the first one who comes to mind in that vein.
0: And what about something a little more non-academic? A favorite movie or a favorite novel?
1: Mm. Well, on the novel front, I must admit my favorite novel is probably one that fed into this book. It's the novel Invisible Cities by the Italian writer Italo Calvino. I don't know if you know it, but the the conceit is that it's a set of short stories. And you get about 10 stories in and you you realise that each one is a description of Venice. So what you've got is a book of descriptions of Venice from different points of view. And that was, you know, that was a point of reference in doing a book like this, just to think, how can I tell a lot of stories that are all about the same thing, yet they're not. They're completely different from each other. So that's a real favorite. And it's one I come back and back to, and that, that does have some sort of connection with this
0: book. And I would just point out for our readers who may be a little fearful of mathematics that your book has this kind of literary conceit to it as well. Final question, what are you working on now? Any books coming in the future? My current project is called A History of Counting. Um, surprise, surprise, it's it's going to
1: be conceived as a lot of separate, fairly short stories in which people count from the archeological past right up to the present day. and just asking, what is this thing we call counting? Are these people really doing the same thing? Are they doing a bunch of different things? What does it, yeah, what's it, what's it about? What does it mean? So those are the questions that are keeping me awake at the moment
0: well, we've got mathematics, history, music, art, and now you're saying that we've got anthropology? Perhaps. Well, Benjamin, thank you so much for your time and for joining us today. This has been a lot of fun.
1: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure.
0: This interview was conducted on July 7th, 2021. I'm Tristan Abbey with the ALEO Review of Books. Join us online at www.aleoreview.com. That's www.aleo.com review.com.